Chapter 12 of A Woman Who Went to Alaska by May Kellogg Sullivan. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. This recording by Karen Cummins. Chapter 12 Barroom Disturbances. Girls, oh girls, shouted Mary from the kitchen door in order to be heard above the waters. Do come inside. Then, as we answered her call and closed the door behind us, she said, the danger is over now, and you can't help those poor people in the wreck. There are plenty of men to do that. See, it is nearly midnight, and we shall have another hard day's work tomorrow. Go to bed like good children do. How about yourself, Ma? said Ricka, carrying out the farce of mother and children as we often did, Mary being the eldest of the four. I'm going to, as soon as I get this pancake batter made, for I'm dead tired. We will hear the particulars of the wreck at breakfast, replied Mary. Poor things, how I pity them. What an awful experience for women, if there were any on board, said sympathetic Ricka. And I left them talking it over, to roll into my cot, weary from twelve hours of hard work and excitement. No anxiety and no thundering of the breakers could now keep me awake, and for hours I slept heavily. Suddenly I was wide awake. No dream or unusual sound had roused me. Some new danger must be impending. My pulses throbbed. The clock at the head of my cot ticked regularly, and its hands pointed to four. The sisters slept peacefully side by side. The whole town seemed resting after the intense and continued anxiety caused by the storm, and I wondered why I had wakened. However, something impelled me to get up, and rising quietly from my cot in order not to arouse the others, I went to the south window and peered out. My heart fairly stood still. The waters were upon us. They had already covered the lower steps at the door not six feet from the cot on which I had slept. I stood motionless. If I knew that the waters were receding, I would go quietly to bed, allowing the others to sleep an hour longer. But if they were rising, there was no time to lose. None could reckon on the tides now, for all previous records had been recently broken. I would wait and watch a few minutes, I decided, and I wrapped a blanket around me, for my teeth chattered, and I shivered. How cruel the water looked as I watched it creep closer and closer. How quietly now it swept at flood tide up through the piles under the warehouse, covering the little backyard and the kitchen steps of the restaurant. With the cunning of a thief, it was creeping upon us in the darkness when we were asleep and helpless. Would the resistless waters persist in our destruction? Where should we go in the storm if obliged to fly for our lives? Twenty minutes passed. Another step was covered while I watched. The tide was rising. Crossing the room now to where my friends lay sleeping, I touched little sister upon the shoulder. Wake up, wake up. The tide is coming. The water is almost at the door. I've been watching it for twenty minutes, and I'm sure we ought to be dressed said I, trying to keep my voice steady, so as neither to betray my fright nor startle them unnecessarily. Springing from their bed, they hurried to the window and looked out. I should say so, exclaimed the younger lady in dismay. These treacherous waters will not give us up. They want us and all we possess, 
and are literally pursuing us, I believe, groaned Miss S., the older sister, struggling to get hastily into her clothing. But we must awaken the girls, she said, rapping on the intervening wall and calling loudly for the three other women who still slept soundly from fatigue. With that, we all dressed and began to pack our belongings. I put my rubber blanket upon the floor and rolling my bedding in that. This I tied securely and dragged to the street door, packing my bags and trunk quickly for removal if necessary. In the restaurant, none knew exactly what to do. The water had covered the back steps, and the spray was dashing against the kitchen door. Underneath the little cellar, dug in the dry sand weeks before, and used as a storing place for tents, chairs, vegetables, and coal sacks, was filled with water which now came within a foot of the floors. From sheer force of habit, Mary began building a fire in the range, and I to pack the spoons, knives, and forks in a basket for removal. Ricka thought this a wise thing to do, but Alma remonstrated. The water will not come in? You need not be afraid. If it does, we will only run out into the street, leaving everything. Let us get breakfast now. The people are coming in to eat and this very matter-of-fact young woman began laying the tables for the morning meal. It was six o'clock. The men soon began to pour into the dining room, hungry, wet, and cold. Many had been out all night assisting in the rescue work or patrolling the beach, inspecting each heap of wreckage in search of dead bodies and valuables, for many among the missing were supposed to have perished in the storm. Three men engaged in rescuing the survivors of the big wreck of the night previous had been swept from the barge alongside and gone down in the boiling surf. Searching parties were out trying to locate a number of men who had started two days before, during a lull in the storm, against the warnings of friends, for Topcock to the east. They were never again seen. I had now to find other lodgings, for the sisters needed their room. Leaving my work for an hour in the forenoon, I tramped about in the mud, looking everywhere within two blocks of the star, for I did not wish to go further away. After calling at a number of places, I was directed to a small hotel or lodging house across the street from the star and about one and a half blocks further east. A man and his wife kept the house which consisted of eating room and kitchen on the east side of the lower floor and a big bar room or saloon on the west side. The second floor was divided by a long, narrow hall into two rows of small rooms for rent to lodgers. The woman showed me a little room with one window on the west side. I wish to rent by the week as I am expecting to leave town before long, said I, after telling her my business and where I was at work. What rent do you charge? Five dollars per week, unfurnished, said she. I caught my breath. The room was about eight feet square and as bare as my hand. Not even a shade hung at the window. It was sealed with boards around and overhead. I asked if she would put up a window shade. She said she would when her husband returned, as she expected him in a few days from Norton Sound. After talking with the little woman, she seemed to wish me to take the room assuring me that there were only quiet, decent people in the house, and the saloon below was closed each day at midnight. There was a billiard table and piano in the bar room, 
but no window shades, shutters, nor screens of any sort, she said. Her own room was next this one, and she was always there after nine o'clock in the evening, so I need not feel timid. Upon reflection, I took the room and paid the rent. My things could not stand in the street, and I must have a place in which to sleep at night. It was high and dry, and far enough away from the surf, so that I need not fear being washed out. I would not be in my room during the day, and it was only for a few weeks anyway. It suited my needs better than anything I could find elsewhere, and as for furnishings, I could do without. I went back to my work, and had my baggage and cot sent to the room. I could settle things in a few minutes in the evening before retiring. The surf still boomed upon the beach, and rain and mist continued all day, but without wind. For hours the waters kept close to our floors, but did not quite reach them. Floating wreckage washed up at our feet, and two lighters, loose from their moorings, lodged beside the warehouse at the mercy of the surf. We were in constant fear that they would shove the warehouse off the piles against our buildings, and that would be, without doubt, the finale. In the meantime, there was a rush indoors such as we had never before had. Many carried hearts saddened by the loss of friends or property. Some had not slept for days. At the tables, at one time, sat two beggars and a number of millionaires. Some who had reckoned themselves rich a few days previous were now beggared. The great wreck of the night before was going rapidly to pieces. With a mighty force, the still angry breakers dashed high over the decks of the ship. Masts and rigging went down hourly, and ropes dangled in midair, while men unloading coal and lumber worked like beavers at Windlass and Derrick, which creaked loudly above the noise of the waters. More and more was the ship dismantled. When the storm cleared and the sun came out next day, the scene was one of wondrous grandeur. Nothing more magnificent had I ever before beheld. Great masses of water, mountain high, rolled continually landward, their snowy crests surmounted by veils of mist and spray, delicate as the tracery on some frosted window pane. As the sun lifted his head above the horizon, throwing his beams widely over all, each mist veil was instantly transformed into a thing of surpassing beauty. It could only be compared to strings of diamonds, rubies, and pearls. With a fairy's witchery, or a magician's spell, the whole face of the waters was changed. Each wrecked craft along the shore, partially buried in sand, mast gone, keel broken, and anchor dragged, with the surf breaking over all, was transformed under the brilliant sunshine until no painting could be more artistically beautiful. Under the fascination of it all, we forgot the anxiety, the labor, and suspense of the last days and weeks, and every moment of interval between work we spent at our door next the beach, or after the falling of the tide, further out upon the sands. Many wrecks lay strewn along the beach. Schooners, barges, and tugs lay broken and helpless. Untold quantities of debris, lumber, pieces of buildings, tents, boxes, and barrels, 
all testified to the sad and tremendous havoc made by this great storm. In my little room, I rested quietly when my day's work was done. The landlady had taken down an old black shawl I had pinned to the window and hung a green cloth shade of ugly color and too wide by several inches. It was better than no shade, and I said nothing. For a bed, I had my own cot. For a washstand, a box. At the head of my cot stood two small boxes, one above the other, and upon these I placed my clock, matches, pincushion, brush and combs, while below were stowed away other little things. A few nails on the wall held my dresses, but my trunk remained packed. A candle, tin wash basin, and bucket completed my room furnishings, simple and homely enough to satisfy the asceticism of a cloistered nun or monk. On September 27th, there fell the first snow of the season. A little had for days been lying upon the hilltops of Anvil, but none nearer. The only fire in my room was an oil lamp, upon which I heated water upon going home at night. But with plenty of blankets and wool clothing, I was comfortable with the window open. One evening, while going to my room, I heard someone singing in the bar room. I hurried up the stairs on the outside of the building, which was the only way of entrance to the second floor, and entered my room. Depositing my lighted lantern upon the floor, I listened. The singing continued. It was a youthful woman's voice. I would see for myself. Going quietly out the door, and down partway to a window crossed by the stairs, I sat down upon a step and looked into the room below. It was the big bar room. It was pleasant and warm, with lights and fire. Upon the bright green cloth of the billiard table lay a few gay balls, but no game was then in progress. The big piano waited open nearby. The bartender stood behind the bar, backed by rows of bottles, shining glasses, and trays. A mirror reflected the occupants of the room, some of whom were leaning against the counter in various attitudes, but the central figure stood facing them. It was a beautiful young girl who was singing. A few feet from, and directly in front of the girl, was her companion, a well-dressed and good-looking young man a little older. Both were intoxicated and trying to dance a cakewalk, accompanying themselves by singing, I'd leave my happy home for you. She was singing in a tipsy, disconnected way, the senseless ditty, swaying back and forth to the imaginary music, beautiful as a dream, with dark hair and great melting eyes. Her skin was like lilies, and each cheek a luscious peach. Her tall, graceful figure clad in long, sweeping black draperies, with white jeweled fingers daintily lifting her skirts while she stepped backward and forward, made a picture both fascinating and horrible. I sat gazing like one petrified. The girl's laugh rang through the room. I'd leave my happy home for you. She was singing still, weaving and swaying now from side to side as if about to fall. Her companion approached and attempted to place his arm about her shoulders, but she gave him a playful push which sent him sprawling, at which she shouted in great glee, dropping her drapery and flinging her lovely arms above her head.
How the diamonds sparkled on her little hands. How the men in the barroom clapped, swearing she was a good one and must have another drink. Someone gave an order, and the bartender handed out a small tray upon which stood slender-necked, amber-colored glasses filled to the brim. As the girl quickly tossed off the liquor, I groaned aloud, awaked from my trance, and fled to my room, where I bolted the door and fell upon my knees. God forgive her! What a sight! I wanted to rush into the barroom, seize the young girl, and lead her away from the place and her companions, but I could not. I had barely enough room for myself. I had little money. What could I do for her? Absolutely nothing. If I went in and attempted to talk with her, it would do no good, for she was drunk, and a drunken person cannot reason. The men would jeer at me, and I might be ejected from the place. Finally, I went to bed. At midnight, the singing and shouting ceased, the people dispersed, the bartender put out the lights and locked the doors. For the first time since reaching Nome, my pillow was wet with tears, and I prayed for gold with which to help lift these, my sisters, from their awful degradation. It was well towards midnight, and I had been asleep for some time. My subjective mind, ever on the alert as usual, and ready to share enjoyment as well as pain with my objective senses, began gradually to inform me that there was music in the air. Softly and sweetly, like rippling summer waters over mossy stones, the notes floated upward to my ears. The hands of an artist lay upon the keyboard of the instrument in the room beneath. I listened drowsily. With the singing of brooks, I heard the twitter of little birds, the rustle of leaves on the trees, and saw the maiden hair nodding in the glen. I was a little child, far away in the badger state. Again I was rambling through green fields and plucking the pretty wild flowers. How sweet and tender the blue skies above! How gentle the faraway voice of my mother as she called me! They were singing softly now, men's voices, well-trained, and in sweetest harmony. I'm coming, I'm coming, for my head is bending low. I hear the gentle voices calling, old black They sang the whole song through, and I was now wide awake. Familiar songs and old ballads followed, the master hand at the keys accompanying. We are going outside on the Ohio tomorrow, said one in an interval of the music, and then ho for home again, so I'm happy. And a momentary clog dance pounded the board floor. Have a drink on it, boys? asked a generous bystander who had been enjoying the music. No thanks, we never drink. Let's have a lively song now for variety and the musicians struck up a coon song, which they sang lustily. Then followed America, Auld Lang Syne, and Mid Pleasures and Palaces, the dear old Home Sweet Home, coming with intense sweetness and pathos to my listening ear. No sound disturbed the singers, and others filed quietly out when they had gone away, 
God bless them and give them a safe voyage home to their dear ones, I breathed, with tears slipping from under wet lashes and a great lump in my throat. Thank God for those who are above temptation, even in faraway Alaska. And again I turned and slept peacefully. End of chapter 12